Thanks for listening to Cato Sports. I hope you enjoy the pod. Give it a follow. Share it with your mates. I appreciate the love. This is Cato Sports. Welcome into the pod. It's Cato Sports, Tuesday, June 6, AFL Round 12 in the book. Happy to have you in for today's show. God, I love I love when we get to this middle part of the season because for the first couple of months, we sit in a in a competition that seems to be built around a lot of randomness. Uh, there's a lot of media stories that are just absolute beat-ups, tanking. Oh, these guys are a lock for a, for the flag. Oh, this coach is, is, you know, his head's on the block, all of this type of stuff. You get a lot of umpiring, you know, judgments that are just so out of place that nobody asks for and that are way over-adjudicated that then kind of get reined back in around about this time of year. And but you see, the footy itself is good enough. The beauty of AFL is the football itself is enough of a spectacle and enough of a story. We don't need that other stuff. And, you know, even now that some of the media stories are still just farcical. The Jordan Degoe is such a beat up. It's absolutely disgusting. Some of the media, you know, talking about, oh, well, Langford put a, you know, a fist in some guy's chest one second after the game. Like, just forget about it. It's such a nothing story and people don't want that. What people want is what I'm going to give you, which is I'm going to cover all six games today, as I always do. At the end of the show, I'm going to finish with a big piece on rucking. I'm just, I'm enamored by the modern ruckman. It is an interesting position. It is not talked about enough. I really feel like they come in such different shapes and sizes. They affect games in in such a weird and different way every single game. And, you know, some of the best Ruckman ever, uh, you know, never won premierships, never won flags. A lot of teams think you don't need a Ruckman to win a flag. It's just, it's such an interesting and fascinating area. So I'm going to talk about Rucking at the end of the show, but I am going to kick it off with Friday night's game, Blues versus Demons. This was a stinker. This was a game that you do, you do not want to show anyone who ever wanted to, you know, get interested in AFL football. Absolutely disgusting f- uh, visuals for, for everyone at home and probably everyone at the game. Carlton cannot execute. They cannot hit anyone by foot. They don't move the ball well. They can't get the ball inside 50. We've been saying this for weeks. It's, it's probably because they haven't been training it. Because if you were training this, you would execute it on game day at some point this season. At some point this year, you would be able to get the ball from your back line to your forward line effectively enough to get a really good shots of goal for your forwards at a, you know, at a consistent basis. Now, a consistent basis doesn't have to be four quarters. It can be one quarter. It can be a half. It can be, you know, most of the game. But they just cannot do it. I mean, 
Carlton's best player was Kemp. And that was because he was sitting behind the ball. And I thought that Melbourne didn't use it very well. And Kemp was able to pick it off. And he had seven intercept marks. He had 10 marks of the game. He had three contested marks. He was really good sitting behind the ball and just picking off drop kicks that Melbourne were kicking into the forward line. I didn't think Melbourne played very well at all. Petrarca was their best. Uh, and, And one of the things I saw in Petrarca, which I haven't seen often, and I loved it, was that, there was a free kick against him middle of the second quarter and he was angry about it. Like he was absolutely angry and you could see that there were comments being made out on the field between the players. You could see that there was some sort of discussion going on and he wasn't happy and he wanted to get aggressive and get involved in the game because he obviously, you know, someone had said something to him and and it had pissed him off. And I just feel like, you know, that's the type of Christian Petrarca we, we want to see week in, week out. Now he's a, He's on talent alone. He's a good enough player to be considered one of the best players in the competition. However, he has the skill set to be the best player in the competition. He is strong through his core. He can't be tackled. He can kick goals. He can tear the ball out of the middle. He can take marks. He he beats his opponent one-on-one. He's just a, a physical presence. And when he brings that extra aggression to his game, especially with someone like Oliver not playing at the moment, God, he is just that type of guy that that elevates Melbourne. And we saw it in the grand final. He went and had 42 touches. He kicked two goals. He was the best player on the ground. When he is rolling, there is, there's not many like him in the competition. So I really like seeing that aggressive Christian Petrarca. I, uh, I just thought it's one element to his game that he could improve on just to make him that little bit better. And for the best players in the competition, it's little things to get better. So... Christian, if you can keep doing that, you are going to be just, you will be one of the best players for the Melbourne Football Club for a very, very long time. I did also want to mention uh, a couple of guys maybe outside of that, that um, you know, the core group of guys that we know play well. I thought Judd McVie, who's kind of settled himself down in the back line, is very poised for the Ds. He is... You know, the ball comes in hot, hard and fast and he's able to just, you know, compose himself, make good decisions with the ball. He doesn't get tackled very often. I just thought the way that he's kind of assimilated into that back line has been really good. And, you know, considering, I think, you know, Lever and May, especially in this game as well, they were just so well set up. They always are really well set up, but they were just so well set up. So being able to have that set up and structure it's easier probably for someone like a McVie to fit into that system, but he has just fitted in really well. And I think he's playing really good footy at the moment. The other one that I really like is, is, is Kay Chandler. He only, he kicks zero three in the weekend, but every week he gives something, you know, he has a spark moment. He has a couple of shots on goal. I think he, as he works on his craft as a forward and he gets to better areas, he's going to start to kick two, three goals a game. You know, he he really is someone that I've saw and go, oh, he's, you know, something different. And he gives the ability for Melbourne to move Cozzy up the ground a little bit when they need to because they've still got that small forward presence who's damaging enough. So I think for the Ds, they've really found one in Kay Chandler there as well. For the, for the Blues, I also did just want to mention that Mackay, you know, he had – five shots a goal, which is better. He's getting a little bit more confident. He kicked three goals too. Um, So he just needs to keep at consistency. Okay, in this area of the ground, I kick a drop punt. In this area of the ground, I kick a snap. Make it really clear. Put a, you know, 
draw up a grid on the ground and say, okay, in this area, I'm kicking it like this. In this area, I'm kicking it like that. Because if he knows himself before he's kicking the ball, he's going to be more confident. When he goes back and you can see that he has no idea whether he's snapping this around the body or if it's too far out or maybe he should go to the drop punt, it just that is not going to help someone consistently kick goals for their football club. So I hope Mackay works on that, but he was a little bit better this week than he has been in previous weeks. Next game, Port versus Hawks. Uh, this was There were two parts to this game, so we'll start off with the first one. Port's back line is electric. Their back line is up there with the best back lines in the competition. The way they move the ball off halfback, I mean, Hawthorne, they, it was like a training drill. It was like Hawthorne with cones. I don't know if it was. They were picking off their kicks going inside the, the center circle. Hawthorne moved from, from originally started with a zone and moved to man because I think they felt like, okay, the grounded Adelaide Oval is a bit too wide for us right now. There are too many gaps in the zone and we're getting cut apart. We're going to go into man, but that didn't work at all. We were chasing tail all game, all the Port players knew where the ball was going. They had at 10 metres, 5 metres on their opponent, basically the whole first half. Aaliyah, Aaliyah, Houston, Bergman were just slaughtering Hawthorne. I, I, I just want to point out Bergman. This kid is is awesome. He can play one-on-one. He can intercept Mark. He's got a beautiful kick of the football. He makes really good decisions. Uh, he is an absolute star for Port Adelaide that's kind of going under the radar, but because Port are flying so much and we've been talking about Butters and we've been talking about Houston, he's kind of just gone a little bit under, but he is an, he's a ripper. He's going to be in that back line for the next 10 years. Very, very solid operation. Uh, I think Hawthorne really did miss Sicily. They... Hawthorne is at its best when Sicily plays as the third, which I mentioned last week. He plays as the third tall. He kind of plays as more of an intercept guy. He doesn't have to play on a key back. He can float and read the ball in the middle of the air. That's kind of how this whole thing is, you know, going to be uh, the best situation for Hawthorne. But with him out of the team, you've got Frost one-on-one, Blank one-on-one, no one playing is that kind of third tall. It maybe it was Scrimshaw, but Scrimshaw isn't that guy. He can't, he doesn't read the play like Sicily does. There's not many that do read the play like Sicily. It's definitely not Scrimshaw. You know, he's been out of the team with form issues and stuff like that. So it really wasn't a one for one bringing him, him into the team. And oh, God, Port just cut him up. I will mention that Sam Frost is in the Hawthorne team right now based purely on the fact that he has some experience in the AFL and zero on form. He got slaughtered. He was terrible one-on-one. He didn't have a a touch in the first half. He's now had 70 goals kicked on him this season, which is nine more than the second most. So he's just – he leaks goals. His disposal efficiency is horrendous. He's the biggest turnover king in the AFL – and he can't win one-on-one matchups. So, I mean, Frost days are absolutely numbered at the moment. And, you know, in that first half, Weddle struggled. He wasn't, you know, he couldn't really pick up what was going on. He was losing one-on-one matchups. He was making bad decisions. He was fumbly. And, you know, I've just got here, Hawthorne were so indecisive. They didn't know what to do. They couldn't win the ball out of the middle. 
And the one of the weaknesses with Hawthorne is really their ruck position at the moment because there isn't enough aggression. There isn't enough leadership there from, from Meek or Reeves. And so if there is a run on goals, they can't impose themselves on games. They can't go, you know what, we're down. I'm going to smash the ball forward. I'm going to win this tap, lay a big tackle, put a little bit of pressure on, lock the ball in. You know, they don't get that from their ruckman. And it, it can lead to these big amounts of goals being kicked on Hawthorne. And without Sicily there to, you know, help read the play, it was just all over by halftime. Finlayson got, Finlayson got the better of all the backs. Marshall did as well. Rioli capitalized three or four times on Hawthorne mistakes and, and fumbles in the back half. So, you know, Port just had it, had it covered. And it was a day at the park for the, for the first half. Second half was different. Port completely took their foot off the gas. And I'm not sure whether that's the right thing or the wrong thing to do from a Port Adelaide perspective. You'd think players are playing, they're out there, you know, it's it's their job. They should be really mentally be locked in for the for four quarters. But when you get out to a 96-point lead, it just, you, I don't know, subconsciously it's harder to, to, to care. It's harder to to run the extra meter. It's harder to push it when it's not as competitive of a game. And, you know, to Hawthorne's credit, they fought back really well. I thought, you know, once Hawthorne were able to win a little bit more at the source and they moved Frost into the forward line to hide him there and moved Dave down back, they looked a lot, they were a lot better set up. Uh, you know, they started to move the ball better. Amon, Weddle, Impey, all were starting to get, you know, good touches of the footy, starting to move the ball forward. I think, Weddle's second half was really great. Like you look at him and go, wow, this kid can seriously play. So, you know, Weddle was, re- yeah, really exciting. And, uh, you know, it gave opportunities to the forwards that they didn't have. Bruce ended up with five goals. Mitch Lewis ended up with three. And you go, geez, this Hawthorne team isn't half bad. <laughs> they actually played pretty well. But if you don't come ready to play and you don't come ready to play from the, the moment the game starts, it's all good and well having a great second half. You lost by 10 goals. So, you know, it's hard for me. Like I want to say Hawthorne did a, played well and I want to say that Port should have cared more, but it was 100 points, the margin at, at one stage. Port are obviously not going to care anymore. They're thinking, okay, this is a long season. I'm not going to go and hurt myself because – you know, we want to win by 110 versus 105. And, you know, Hawthorne capitalized on that. And, you know, Port get a 10-goal win, which they'd probably be a little bit sad with because they could have got a nice percentage boost. But at the end of the day, you win by 10 goals, you go home with no injuries, Port Adelaide would be laughing. So weird game. Well done, Port Adelaide. Hawthorne, you know, bring it from the first bounce. This this coming home at halftime thing is not <laughs> – what is required of an AFL football team. West Coast versus the Pies. Let's get into it. Um, Jeez. West Coast, we saw what it was like when a VFL team played an AFL team. When West Coast played Hawthorne, they lost by 116 points. But now West Coast got a few dudes back. Sheed, Duggan, Kelly, Yo, Allen. These guys are good football players and they're all in the team together and they just needed a few more guys. Like they were running around with with no one at one stage. It was Sheed, Duggan and, and Kelly. 
But now that they get Hearn and they get Yo and, you know, they get a few more guys that are competent and, and can actually play at the level, West Coast is starting to look a little bit better. I thought it was Elliot Yo's best game he'd played in two years. He really stuck out to me. And I think, you know, early on in, in the year I said, I'd much prefer Dunkley to, to Patrick Cripps as a player because I like the versatility of Dunkley over Cripps, who's a bit kind of one speed. Yo was Dunkley before Dunkley. You know, Yo is, you know, a tackle first defensive minded bull who can kick goals. He's got aerial prowess. He's versatile. I mean, he can go behind the ball and be a loose behind the ball as well. Uh, he really is a very, very interesting player when he's up and firing. So, you know, the fact that he's been so lowly in his performance and output has been kind of jarred by injury and stuff has been a real loss for West Coast over the last, you know, especially this season and last season. And so to have him back and having 25, 26 big touches a game, because Yo's the type of guy that has, he doesn't have 35, you know, and a lot of them are handballs. He has 26 and they're, you know, all of them matter and he lays fucking eight tackles. So that's the type of guy that Yo is. So... I'm very happy that he's getting a bit of form back as well. And my my other points I've got here that I've written down is, you know, having a few more studs in the team, it means you're going to halve or win a few one-on-one con- contests and you're going to be able to move the ball a little bit better without mistakes. West Coast could not move the ball for the first eight or nine rounds this season. It was just, it was a joke. So to get those guys back in, it helps the younger dudes they've got on their list. Guys like Jameson, guys like, you know, I thought Ned Long had some good moments. Greg Clark was visible. He'd been literally invisible for the first, uh, you know, his first few games of footy. He looked a little bit more there this week. So some nice things happening at West Coast over the last few weeks. They just needed to get a few dudes back. As for the pies, how fun was it putting Dacos down in the forward line? Like, you know, I've got here having him and and Sheasel, who are kind of these guys that can play midfield if you want. They can play down back. They can have 30 touches a game. They can cut teams open because they're such good ball users. But really, you know, having them as that forward, that can, a midfielder that can go forward and then score on you is just like that whole other element. And I think those two guys – are gifted that way and that's why they're going to be so deadly for the next 15 years because they can just kill you any different way you know it's how many ways can you skin a cat well they can skin a cat a lot of different ways i, I love that move by the pies putting him forward line and, and, and the other thing i've got here that i've written down about collingwood is your how you go at the end of the season what matters is how good are your bottom six players. That's been the case for years and years and years. It's how good are the six worst, youngest, inexperienced dudes on your list because they're the guys that get found out in big games. And Collingwood's bottom six dudes are the best bottom six easily in the league. Guys coming into this year that had question marks against them, Mason Cox, Bobby Hill, Ash Johnson, Murphy, that these guys are outstanding. These guys are winning them games of footy. Johnson's kicked three goals. Hill's kicked three goals. Cox has kicked two. Murphy's an absolute rock down in the back line. It's these types of dudes that are just dominant. John Noble's gone to another level as well. You know, it, it means that the pressure is taken off 
They're prime guys. Guys like Pendlebury and Sidey and Maynard and Dugowie, who are all in good form and playing good football. They don't have to be amazing every week. They can just play their role, 25 touches, kick a goal, you know, be important when they need to. They don't have to be, you know, David against Goliath every single week. And it's just going to help the pies massively that they've got such an array of dudes that can just kill you on any on any week. So I really love that coming out of Collingwood and I think they're just moving in a really nice direction. We'll get into the rest of the games on the other side of this break. We'll see you after this. Let's go. Welcome back into the pod. Next game on the radar, Gold Coast versus the Crows. The Gold Coast Suns are real. That's the first note I have here. This team is for some reason not in the media spotlight as being as good as they are because I think a lot of people don't watch their games. They maybe don't have any, you know, they don't have a Gary Ablett playing for them at the moment. And, you know, it's maybe not the most exciting show in town, but oh my God, can they play football? This was a ripping game. Adelaide came to, to, they came ready to go. First quarter, I've got here efficiency of opportunity. The Crows, like they've been like this all year. If you give them opportunities, they'll slaughter you. They've got too many players that are too good inside 50 in one-on-one situations for you to be able to compete. If they're getting the ball in there enough, they will kick a lot of goals. And when you kick a lot of goals, you're a hard team to beat. Uh, yeah, just in here in my notes, the supply was awesome early and, you know, they should have buried them. But, however, Q2 through Q4 was what I thought would happen because I, I thought that this game was not going to go the way of the Crows. I thought that they were going to lose the hit-out battle. I thought they were going to lose the clearance battle. I thought they were going to lose the center clearance battle. And they did. They smashed Adelaide in contested ball as well. They, they beat them by nearly 40. They just, guys like, Raul only had 15 touches, but 13 were contested. Humphrey had 17 touches, 13 were contested. Anderson had 28 touches, 18 were contested. That is insane numbers for your inside mids. No one on the Crows had double-digit contested touches except for Laird. So, you know, they were going up against these bull midfield that doesn't give you anything. They, They really suffocate you. Wits has had nearly 50 taps, so... They're getting first use. They're better at the contested ball. They're giving their forwards really good usage. And the way they're set up in the forward line is really something to to watch out for. I think they've got these three big keys in Casbolt, King, and and Lukosius. And they use them really, really well. When they got the ball in the the Gold Coast bat line and they're starting at a 4A forward, they have – Casbolt as the get-out-of-jail guy. He's the first one. He hits up the hardest. He comes the closest towards the back line to take a contested mark and be the option and try and bring the ball to ground. The next kick forward is, is, is usually Ben King. He's coming out on a hard lead. He's usually one-on-one. Even if they've got a spare back that far behind the ball, it's Ben King. He's a lot taller than most defenders, and he and he hits up at the ball, and he gets them that mark somewhere between 50 and 80 meters. 
Then they turn and go, okay, who's the next option? And it's Lukosius. And that's because Lukosius is crafty. He's a really good user of the ball. He's really good with his body. He finds space. So, you know, the options that that he provides inside 50 are really the ones you want because he's a finisher. He's good. He's classy. If, you have, if he has to lead to the pocket, he's a good kick for goal. So, you know, I just love the way they're setting up with this three-tier system where Kasbol gets the furthest up, then it's King, then it's Lukosius. It, it really works well for them. And they've got, you know, the smalls sliding in, in and around them as well. Rosas is electric. I've spoken about it before. I love him. I think he provides an interesting dynamic that a lot of teams don't have. Uh, in the next game I talk about, there's a couple of guys that do have that Rosas dynamic, uh, but he really is one of very few that really are that forward that is just super, super dangerous for you. Um, yeah, I mean, God, they set up defensively well behind the ball. Adelaide couldn't move it. It was just, it was a bit of a masterclass. And I just, I love how they go about their footy. I think they've got one of the best midfielders in the in, in the comp. Raul has kicked two goals. Raul kicked a goal. Humphrey kicked two. Ando kicked two. So they're getting scores from their midfield as well. Lukosius has kicked five. Kings kicked a few. It's just like it works. This is a team that really works well together, and they're doing it without a dude that got 27 Brownlow votes last year, took Miller. So he's still going to come back in there. And one of the reasons the Suns have lost a couple of games this year is they just ran out of gas because – they don't have the depth in that midfield. Once they get Took Miller back in this midfield, oh my God, just watch out because this, this is a serious team and they need to be taken very seriously in 2022. And look, I love the Crows. I think the Crows are going to finish in the eight. They're going to smash a lot of teams because they just, they're like that. Once they get enough forward opportunities, they, they really put teams away. But up in Darwin, in the temperature, against a team that just has so many bulls, I just I I didn't think Gold Coast were going to lose this one, and they fought back through, through especially through that second and third quarter, and gave the Crows absolutely nothing. They kicked you know nine or ten goals in a row, so just a really good outing for the for the Gold Coast. A really good two week stint up in Darwin. I thought that was a masterclass by the front office, by the coaching staff, and and executed well by the players. So well done, Gold Coast Suns. Next game, GWS versus Richmond. Like I said with Rosas, uh, my notes for the first half of this game were Bolton is arguably the most dangerous forward half creator in the league. He is just the way he isn't, you're not able to tackle him. He can kind of kick off one step and, and put it wherever he wants. He can kick goals. He can make space where there isn't any. He can create something from nothing. He can pick the ball up off the deck in a second. Like, He's just awesome. And then in the second half, I said, well, if there was anyone that was going to challenge Bolton in that forward half danger zone, it, it's Toby Green. And he was just instrumental in the comeback for, for GWS and just one of the best players in the competition to watch. We've spoken about him here before on this thing. We know how good Toby Green is. And, you know, just to see that kind of forward craft was by those two guys was awesome. I also have down here Jay Rue. He kicked five goals three. And he's given Jack Buckley, who I think is a really good young defender for GWS, he's given him an absolute masterclass on how to play the forward position. Multiple, and in so many different ways. So, you know, he kicked a goal because 
of his leading skills. Jack Rewart's one of the best players in the comp at leading right at the guy when he's kicking it so that he has to kick the easiest ball. He just puts it out in front and Rewart, bang, he hits up. He's been doing it for years and years and years. He makes it so easy on the guy kicking it to him. He took marks in the goal square using his body just to nudge him out, didn't use the hands. He just used the hip. Bang, Rewalt takes a mark. Another lesson. He, you know, uh, he, he stayed down in a marking contest. Marking contest in the goal square. Everyone goes up. Buckley gets caught going up with the with the crowd. Rewalt stays down. He picks up the easy ball. He actually went to handball it to a teammate who drops it. Rewalt picks it back up, kicks the goal. These are the types of things that, you know, you'll learn from for your whole life. And Buckley got an absolute lesson from, from Rewalt and how to do that. And then the other point, which is the most important, more important than the, the five goals Rewalt kicked. With 45 seconds to go in this game, the game is on the line. The ball gets, you know, squib kicked forward, little squib kick by, I think, Baker towards Rewalt. It's Rewalt and Buckley. They both go at it. Rewalt picks it up, gives a handball, but stays on his feet. Buckley hits the deck. The ball bounces out. Rewalt then has the second opportunity to go and win the ball, and he does, and he gets the handball out. The ball then is able to be surged forward. Pickett gets on the end of it. Richmond kicked the game-winning goal. Just the little things. Keep your feet in the contest. And, and, and all of the all day, Rewalt just showing him what a good forward does and what a back needs to do to stay with a guy like him for, for 120 minutes. So credit to Jack Rewalt. I just thought it was a really good game. And Buckley will have learned a lot. I think he's a good player. And yeah, he's going to have a great week watching tape. Um, couple of highlights. It was an awesome game. This was one of the best games of the round. It was the game of the round. Like it was a shootout. There were 12 goals kicked in the last quarter. I thought the goals by Faye, the youngster from uh, GWS in his second game, kicking it a bomb from outside 50 just for Judson Clark for Richmond, who, you know, hasn't played much footy either, to kick a bomb from outside 50. It was just like, oh, my God, this game is – this game is awesome. Um, and, yeah, I just – look, both teams had really good – their good players played well. Uh, Taranto played really well. Cornelio played really well. I thought, you know, both teams re- really evenly matched. I love that GWS just didn't give up on the game. They they kept coming. I had picked GWS to win this game because I know that they've got a lot of – they're playing really well at the moment. They've got a lot of fight in them. Um, but Richmond were good, you know, Bolton was good. Dusty was good. Were, both teams really brought their A game and uh, it was just a really good game to watch. So congrats to Richmond. They played a, 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 a in an epic and they were able to do the right things in the right moments late. And, you know, that rewatch just keeping his feet. It's kind of symptomatic. Re, Richmond maybe were just a little bit more experienced and had a little bit more class. And it was good for Richmond to get the hoodoo off their back because they lost a bunch of close ones. They'd lost you know, 12 or 13 of their last 12 or 13 in close ones. So to get a close one is uh, really good for the Richmond faithful. So well done, guys. Last game of the round, Dons versus Roos. Absolute cracker as well. Uh, My notes here are 
It's awesome when both teams have got barometer-type guys and they're kind of on, you know, Stringer We had a really good first half, Zerha had a second half. They're the two barometer dudes of the AFL, you know, these big dudes that are forwards that throw their weight around and, you know, they, they cause trouble out on the field and, you know, they both came to play. Merritt's first quarter was just psycho. He's just, he's, you know, he's really stepped up. He's gone from being a really good player to being a, I'm a captain, I'm a leader, I'm an elite player. He's adding all of these elements to his game. It's just, it's he's just a, an absolute star of the competition. In the first quarter, he had two goals, 15 or 16 touches. Um, Essendon are a good team. And, and so on, North played really well as well. I mean, I said a couple of weeks ago that Will Phillips, it was so important for him to come out in this game or not in this game, but over the next two to three years and go, the reason you picked me at pick four was it was worth it. And for him to have another game where he has 27 touches and he hits the scoreboard, it, it's just reaffirming why he was picked so high and is really going to help them develop as a team. Larky can't be denied. He's just, you know, he's one of the best forwards in the comp. It's, he probably doesn't even get as many calls as he should. He has players draped over him all game. He, they're hanging off the, the dude. He can't He can't take a mark sometimes. And, you know, so he, I don't think he gets looked after the way some other forwards do. So I love I love how Larky's going about it. Um, Essendon forward line, Langford is now just a, a guarantee for three or four goals a game. He's so good one-on-one. He leads at the ball. He can take marks. He can put... Push, push, sorry, you can push people off their spot. Uh, Perkins is developing very nicely for Essendon too. So, you know, this game, I love that North came back into it. I loved that, the, the you know, the resurgence of North in this game was built on Wardlaw just doing some epic things out on the ground. Like, I've obviously been a high rap for him as a player. I think the way he wins contests, the way he speeds up going. I I spoke about this earlier in the year. The way he speeds up going into contests, there's only like, it's only like him and Clayton Oliver and a a couple other guys that do it like that. Not many players really start to accelerate through the ball when they get it. And uh, he's just, you know, he's just an absolute ripper. So look, you know, people were saying, oh, Essendon, you know, it wasn't their best performance because North are low on the ladder. It's like, no, yeah, North have got a lot of talented dudes. They just don't put it together as often as they should. But when North are playing really good footy, they're a good team. So, you know, I don't think Essendon in any way lowered their stripes. They won a game of football that was there to be won. I thought, um, you know, when the game was close at the end, they were able to, to, to win and they were able to do the right things at the end of the game to win. So... I'm I'm a big rap on Essendon. I think they've I've I said from the start of the season, they're honest and they give it to you every week. And their fans would absolutely love it. Every week they come to to the footy and they know that they're going to get an honest effort out of the team. And they deserve the wins that they get and they deserve the ladder position that they have right now. And even though I think there's probably some teams with more talent on them lower than them right now, you gotta beat the teams that you play. And if you lose games that you should win, then teams like Essendon are gonna beat, are gonna be higher on the ladder because they're winning the games they should win. So, uh, yeah, massive rap for Essendon. I just thought it was a really, really good game of footy at, at uh, Marvel yesterday. After this, going to do a little rap, going to talk a bit about uh, about Ruckman, so stay tuned. 
Let's go. Welcome back into the pod. I want to talk about Ruckman. I really want to talk about Ruckman. I want to deep dive into it. I've been sitting on it for a while now thinking this is the most enigmatic position in the game for sure. In, In some respects, nobody cares about Rucks. In some respects, they're the most important, you know, game-winning uh, option that a team has. In in a lot of respects, you know, how your Ruckman performs will absolutely decide the result of a game or not. I mean, just on the weekend, we saw Wits have 50 touches and completely towel up Riley O'Brien out of the Ruck, and that's 50 taps. That in my eyes, that's 50 times, like whether you handball the ball or whether you tap the ball, it's basically the same thing. You're pushing the ball to your teammate who's moving the ball forward. And so Wits is, Wits is getting his hand on 50 times plus touching the ball. The, your Ruckman can have 65 to 70 touches of the ball a game and yet they're kind of not valued. It, it, it's weird. The best Ruckman in the league, guys like English, Gorn, uh, Cameron, Grundy are absolutely game breakers. They they are their impact is is ridiculous on games. Being able to move forward and back and and uh, kick goals, win around the ground, put their team into position to win by hand in the ruck. I mean, in, in that respect, I think they're the biggest weapon a team can have almost. Carlton just signed Pito to, to a four-year deal. And I mean, I don't consider Pito a very good player, but they must have a lot of confidence in, in, in Pito and think of him as a, a game wrecker if they're going to sign him to a four-year deal with DeConning on their list as well. And so maybe Carlton are going and saying, okay, there's the Gorn and Grundy thing going. There's the Draper-Phillips thing. I mean, you ask any Essendon fan right now who, why they have been so stable and so strong this year, I, I think a lot of them will tell you that Draper and Phillips splitting time in, in the ruck this week. They both had 25 taps each. So as a co- combination, it's, you know, 50 taps for the game that they're getting to their advantage. Uh, that's huge. I mean, you, you look at... GWS, they bring in young Briggs. He kicks two goals from stoppages this week. So there's a massive impact that these guys are having. Collingwood lost some form and lost some games when they didn't have a Ruckman available. They didn't have Cox. They didn't have Cameron. Cameron leaves the the side because of injury. Cox comes back a bit earlier. And now people are saying, geez, Cox is in the best form of his life. He's dominating. So it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a weird one because- I went back and I looked at some some stats and I, I looked at some past historical data and there has only been one Ruckman of, of note that has been drafted in the top 10 in the draft since 2009, and that's Luke Jackson. Now, there's only been two Ruckman drafted at all, and the other one was Billy Longer, who got drafted at pick eight to the Lions in 2011 and, and and didn't survive. He played, you know, 10 games of footy, moved to moved to the Saints, and then his career was over. So they're not drafted. No one wants them. I mean, Luke Jackson is the only one in the last 14, 15 years that has been drafted in the top 10. So they're really devalued in terms of draft capital. In terms of success, they're, I mean, outside of Gorn, who 
is, you know, obviously an, a big-time All-Australian gun player, there hasn't been an All-Australian uh, ruckman since 2011, and Brad, that was Brad Ottens for Geelong, and he didn't win his All-Australian, he didn't win his All-Australian at Geelong. He won it at Richmond 10 years earlier. So, you know, it's, it's not like they've had success. It's not like anyone has gone, that's our champion. He won us, you know, maybe gone, but outside of gone, you know, the names are Scott Lysette and Reese Stanley and Jordan Ruffhead and David Hale and, you know, Mumford. The, the names aren't there. Nank. The, the the names are they're not all Australian. They're not dominating guys that end up winning the last game at the end of the season, and yet you know they're still important. There's Gorn, Wits, Nank are all captains. So a, a sixth of the league are a captain by a ruckman. Ben McAvoy was just captain and gave it up to Sicily. So these guys end up in, in a lot of occasions in leadership positions and controlling the list and, and you know, being a big part of who the club is, but they're not really drafted at, at, at any stage at, as a high pick. I mean, teams are much more inclined in a position of scarcity to go for, you know, another run of the middle, mid, you know, run of the mill midfielder. And I think that maybe there's a trick there. Like, for example, Luke Jackson, who was drafted at pick three, was flipped for a, a, a mega haul to, to Freo. Uh, and they were able to, you know, Melbourne are going to benefit off that for the next two to three years. So being able to maybe go and get one of these guys, and is it that they aren't there? I, I don't know. Is it that, that that when you're 17 or 18, it's impossible to see who's going to be a good Ruckman? It's impossible for the evaluators to go, okay, well, this guy's got the size. He's got the skill set. He's got the, you know, motor skills to be able to perform at AFL level if we give him two or three years to develop. Because I understand that players come out and they're 18, they're not 21 or 22 and, you know, they're less developed as Ruckman and you can see the young small midfielders that can come in and make an impact straight away. So it's it's almost a, a riskier pick kind of, but if you think they've got the tools, then, you know, it's not like your AFL club's going to just fall apart next week. You're investing in the future of your club and <clears throat> clearly the better Ruckman in a lot of situations in games this year leads to your team winning the game of football. So I, 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 I mean, when it's even and you have two rucks that are kind of going at it even, maybe there's, there's not an advantage. But if you don't, I mean, you look at the rucks of the teams that are struggling right now and you look at it and go, well, West Coast don't have Nick Natanui playing. They're playing Williams in the ruck and Jameson and they're getting crucified. Hawthorne are playing Reeves and Meek, who are both, below par guys who are kind of, you know, Reeves was the son of the chairman of the board and Meek was get picked up from Freo for a third or fourth rounder or something. So there's there's no value there. on Those, those guys are, are terrible and Hawthorne lose a lot of games. North Melbourne lost two Ruckman earlier in the year, Cherry and um, Combin, to injuries and, you know, they're absolutely massively struggling. So, you know, is it that, maybe we're not valuing these rucks in the draft as much as we should be because, you know, when you let them run, 
And you've got guys like Sean Darcy and Luke Jackson and, and, and Tim English, Gorn, Grundy out on your field. They're, they're having massive impacts on games. It just it, – it, I don't understand where the, the – I don't know where – it, everything's going wrong for the selectors and, and where they can't see what a Ruckman will be like in, in four or five years' time. So just just an interesting conversation that I wanted to have. I just think that it's such a crucial position. You can touch the ball 50, 60, 70 times a game. And I, I also feel like the way that Ruckman kind of, you know, you can have two styles. You could have the Gorn and Witt style where – He's just going to dominate and, and 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 really be a tap ruckman who then can work behind the ball and can work forward and be a mismatch there. Or you can go, okay, we want more of an English type or, a you know, Stanley's a little bit more like that for, for Geelong, Cameron, who kind of gets around the ground and, and, and that's more their game. And, you know... I think Phillips is more that taller guy. Draper gets around and he wins his hard balls and stuff for Essendon. It's just a, an interesting thing. Rowan Marshall's probably St Kilda's best player at the moment. I mean, I, I think it'd be hard to argue against that. So they're they're so important and we're not drafting them. And I mean, I don't know why teams also don't use different taps in different formations coming out of the center. I, it feels like it's, been very similar in a lot of contests, how teams set up over a long period. And there could be more game planning for those center bounces and and structuring up and using the Ruckman in different ways. But it just doesn't seem to happen. It seems like the way the Ruck has been used only really started to change recently when guys like English started to really move around the ground. You go, okay, now he wins ball all around the ground. Grundy does very similar. Um, but then those center clearances could definitely evolve as these ruckmen become more agile and they're you know more switch on. They can use the ball better and they can design things a little bit better for them. So, just an interesting conversation I wanted to have. I think, in my opinion, the ruck position absolutely should be valued higher, especially at the draft. And uh, yeah, I think when you get a guy like a Luke Jackson, you can get so much value out of them as a player and then as a trade chip as well. I mean, Luke Jackson's a premiership player for Melbourne now and he's gone over to Fremantle and Melbourne have taken a King's ransom for him. So just my thoughts. If you're interested, let me know. Um, or You can always tweet me, always reach out. Love doing the podcast, love hearing from everyone and I love everyone's thoughts on different things and different topics. So keep firing them at me. As always, Kevin McLeod with Themes Perm does all my producing for me. I will see you guys next week. This is Kato Sports. That's a great idea, Kato.